Jesus. And a lot of times when we approach prayer, we approach prayer sometimes very callously, like uh, carelessly at times. Maybe we just kind of throw out a few prayers and, and thoughts here and there. But I want you to think about this quote. There's a, a gentleman or a pastor, old pastor, missionary, uh, that uh, made the statement. His name is Hudson Taylor. And he said, do not work so hard for Christ that you have no strength to pray. For prayer requires strength. And I think a lot of times, I know for myself, and I think a lot of people I know, that oftentimes we get so bogged down with the burdens of working hard and accomplishing these great things for God that we miss out on the most important thing in our lives wholeheartedly. And I believe that that is that we spend time in prayer, that we spend time in the Word, that we are devoted, holy committed to him in everything that we do. So John chapter 17, we started last week, and last week we talked about how Jesus begins the prayer, and he talks about bringing glory to the Father, bringing glory to himself, and I'm going to read the first six verses, and then we're going to read on until verse 12. So this is what he says, after Jesus said this. Matter of fact, let me jump back here real quick. If you remember chapter 13 through 16, Jesus is giving them all of these warnings, things that they're going to face, the trials, the persecution, the, the problems, the difficulties, the, the burdens they're going to have to bear. But then Jesus, and I love what he says at the end of verse 33, he says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. And then Jesus goes off into this prayer, this high priestly prayer. This is the prayer that I call the Lord's Prayer, not the other one, because the other one is really the disciples' prayer that Jesus taught them to pray. He said, hey, I want you to pray like this, all right? But this to me is the Lord's Prayer, and I kind of look at it as this, that Jesus on his way to the garden where he would later pray by himself, right now is praying with his disciples, for his disciples, all right? And in the midst of that, he says these words. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and he prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over what? All people. That he might give eternal life to all of those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one or the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Keep in mind, Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. He knows the very reason for which he came is about to come about. He's about to sacrifice his life on the cross to bear the weights and the burdens and the sins of all humanity. And in the midst of that, he says these prayers, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. And now he jumps into where he prays for his disciples, the very people who would follow him. And listen to what he says. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are whose? Yours. 
All I have is yours and all you have is mine. And glory, listen to this, I love this. And glory has come to me through them. Do you realize the very life with which you live brings glory to God based upon how you respond in obedience and in the, in the obedience to what he's called you to do. And so he lays that out. And the glory and glory has come to me through them. Verse 11, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the, name, the power of your name, the name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. And while I was with them, I protected them and I kept them safe by the name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. And we know that he is speaking of Judas at that point. See, Jesus turns his prayer from himself and he now turns it towards his disciples. And he gives the reason why he's praying for his disciples and the reason why the Father should meet these requests. And he's literally saying because of the glory. Everything that they do brings glory and honor to me. And so in the midst of what he's praying for, he's praying that we would be protected, that we would be obedient, that we would be big about God's mission. But in the big picture, all of that points to glorifying God first and foremost. And so God's glory is always first and foremost. And so today as we pack in, what we said was we want to pray like Jesus. And so last week I said we pray that we would see God's glory come about in our own lives and in the lives of those people around us. And so last week I told you, as a matter of fact, I hope some of you went home and did this, that you take the letters of the alphabet and in the midst of God's glory, you would acknowledge who God is. He is awesome. He is almighty. He's all-knowing. He's omniscient. You could, for each letter of the alphabet, that you would come up with words, maybe biblical words, words from there that you could acknowledge who he is. So in the midst of my praying, I would say those things. God, that you are the righteous redeemer. You are the Lord of Lord. You are the King of kings. You are gracious. You are merciful. And I hope you did that. I, I really want to challenge you that as you do that, as you begin to pray this way, and I believe one of the things that we could do is in the midst of our praying, that we would pray in that way, that first and foremost, when we pray, we pray to glorify God. That our prayers start focused on God, not on ourselves. Because a lot of times I find myself, in my praying, become very self-centered. Anybody else that in that way? It's like, dear Lord, help me, right? Like, Help me. I always remember like the movie Jerry Maguire. Help me help you. That's really what God's saying. Help me help you. But it's all about you. And when you are only on you, you forget the whole reason for which you exist. And so I said, I think one of the things we have to do is we start our prayers by glorifying God for who he is, for what he's done, for the blessings he's given you, for the struggles you've gone through. Prayer, secret, fervent, believing prayer lies at the root of all personal godliness, according to a gentleman named William Carey, who is a longtime historian, pastor, and strong believer that is dead. He's been gone for a couple hundred years. But I want you to think about that. Secret, fervent, believing prayer lies at the root of all personal godliness. And so today's sermon title is Life Transforming Prayer. And I believe wholeheartedly in the fact that God wants to transform your life 
to be more and more like His so that your life reflects Him, so that your life points to Him, so that in everything that you do, your life brings glory and honor to Christ Jesus first and foremost. And in order to do that, I believe that we have to have some life-transforming prayer. And sometimes life-transforming prayer is really honestly rather difficult. Why? Because we're not really praying to change God. We're asking God to change us, right? I mean, when I start prayers telling God basically, hey, you need to change, I've already started off on the wrong foot. But when I start on the right foot by saying, God, change me, mold me, make me into who you want me to be, then prayer changes everything. Matter of fact, if you remember anything, I want you to remember this. This is the key point today. Praying leads me into an intimate relationship with God where I see the power of God in the presence of my life. Praying leads me into an intimate relationship with God where I see the power of God in the presence of my life. How many of you desire to see the power of God unleashed and revealed in the presence of your life, where you're at right now? And I would say that's the prayer for most Christians. God, God, whatever that looks like, would you pour out the power of God in the presence of my life so that my life would be transformed by you? And Jesus begins this prayer and he lays it out and he says, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. So here's the big question. How can our prayers be life-changing or life-transforming? How can our prayers be life-transforming? And number one is this. I believe that we begin by praying for obedience. Huh. That's kind of an easy one, but a hard one at the same time, isn't it? God, that I would be obedient to what you have called me to. Listen to what he says again. They were yours and you gave them to me. They have what? Obeyed your word. In the midst of everything that goes on, I want you to see how Jesus is laying this out. And look at how many times Jesus says, world and word. Matter of fact, if you wanted to, you could go through and circle them or highlight them or underline them or do whatever it is. But notice what he does. He says, I have revealed you to those who you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. He goes all the way throughout and there's this contrast between the world and the word. The world and the word. There's this obedience idea and the word is the only hope of the world, and we have to begin to understand that the world will keep you, the word, sorry, will keep you from the world, but the world often keeps us from the word. Easy, easy way to identify that real quick this week. Think back to your time schedule over the last week, what you have spent time on. In your mind, make a note of what you've spent the most time on. Most likely work. Maybe it was home, whatever, I don't know. But then think about things like, okay, how much TV did I watch? How many extracurricular activities was I involved in? How much time did I spend in the Word? How much time did I spend in prayer? 
Now, I'm not going to be legalistic and tell you you should spend one hour a day for 24 hours or rather 20, one hour out of the 24-hour day in the Word. But I want to tell you this, is that oftentimes the reason our lives are not transformed by our prayers is because the Word is an afterthought. The Word is an add-on. The Word is something that we go to only if we are in trouble. The Word is not something we take in day in and day out. Matter of fact, some of you would probably say the last time I opened the Word was last week when you started to preach your message. And the, the issue is this. Life-transforming prayer will never happen if that is the case. Because the world will always steal time away from the Word. Period. So how can our lives be life-changing, or how can our prayers be life-changing, life-transforming? We have to spend time in the Word, so we have to pray for obedience. See, I'm convinced that sometimes we take it on our own hands or into our own hands, and we just do things rather than pray about them, right? We, just, we would rather move on and, and take it under our own hands and do it rather than pray about it. We would rather do the thing and work hard and listen to what I said again. Do not work so hard for Christ that you have no strength to pray for prayer requires strength. When you think about that and think about the reality of where you're at in life, I want you to understand that most of the time we would rather work hard than work in prayer. And what I see in my own life and what I see probably in our church's life is this, that we're good at working. Look, I'm a worker. I love to work. I like, matter of fact, I'm not big of a sitter. Uh, I don't sit around a lot. Uh, I really don't. I, I can't, it, it drives, matter of fact, it's about what, 9.30 at night, and we sit around for about 15 minutes and I go to bed. Or not 15, sorry, 45. I keep it honest here. All right, about 45 minutes. We stay up till the weather's done. I've turned into my parents. You know what I mean? <laughs> okay, weather's done, click, go, let's go to bed. <laughs> I don't even stay up for sports anymore, which is what I always used to at least stay up for sports, all right? But it's, it's that way. But I want you to think about this, that Jesus reveals the truth of the Father to all. Matter of fact, the, the verse Darren read just earlier said, I and the Father are one. If you know me, you know the Father. And he's trying to communicate this. And in the midst of being obedient, in the midst of seeing life-transforming prayers, we have to know the Son who leads us to know the Father. There is a reality there that we begin to understand, but a select few do. Listen to John chapter uh, 6, verse 46. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. That is Jesus Christ. No one has seen the Father except for the one who is from God. John chapter 10, verse 30. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of their hands. I and the Father are one. When the Word speaks, the Word is pointing to the Father. Jesus Christ, the Word of God, is the very one who speaks for God and points to the Father. The Son, the Word, glorifies the Father and He points us to it. So we're praying for obedience to the Word because the Word is the one who points us to the Father and leads us into that relationship. And so as we do that, we begin to understand that big picture. Listen to John 14 again. And if you remember John 14, the context, Jesus starts off with this. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me, and then you get this, if you really knew me, you would know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip goes, wait, 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 what? 
No, man, you, you show us the Father and that'll be enough. That's literally what Philip's, Philip's like, what? What, what? what are you talking about? Show us the Father and that'll be enough for us. Let us see the Father, we're good. And listen to what Jesus says, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And then I love how he wraps up these verses. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Listen, life-transforming, life-changing prayer begins by praying for obedience. Why? Because obedience to God is first and foremost. Obedience is the key to the blessings that God wants to pour out in your life. Do you understand that? Do you see the big picture? When I pray for life-transforming prayers, when I pray life-transforming prayers, but I'm not willing to be obedient, don't expect the blessing of God to be poured out on your lack of, diso- or on your lack of obedience. The blessing of God will never be poured out upon disobedience. There is nowhere in Scripture that God says, oh, great, good, you disobeyed me? Here you go, I'm gonna pour out my blessing on you. Every time God says, fend for yourself. Find your own way. Let's see how that works for you in the end. Pray for obedience. Obedience in your life. Obedience for your family. Pray for the power to reveal God's name, to make God's character known. See, obedience is not natural, is it? You know, we joke about it all the time, but I never had to teach my kids to disobey. My parents never taught me to disobey. There is no way, shape, or form that the school taught you to obey every law and everything goes. Because if that was the case, some of you wouldn't speed. Yeah. (laughs) You get the picture, right? I'm just joking, but at the same time, this is the understanding. Deep down inside, there is a nature inside of all of us that says, I don't want to obey. I don't want to do that. I don't want to walk in that way. So pray for obedience. See, obedience is not natural. We like to do what we want to do. But listen, God, God looks into the depths of our hearts, knowing our deepest thoughts, knowing our needs, knowing our desires, knowing our problems, and he stands there and he testifies for us. Jesus testifies before the Father. Listen, they obeyed your word and I'm praying for them. Do you get that big picture? I know this is, this is Jesus praying before he's about to be crucified, but think about this. The Spirit groans, according to Romans, that when we don't know what to pray, the Spirit groans for us. Do you realize, realize that the Spirit intercedes for you? That even when you don't know what to pray, he is praying for you. Why? Because it glorifies God when we are obedient. The Spirit is praying for your obedience. You should pray for your obedience. I should pray for my obedience. If I want to have life-transforming prayer, I pray for obedience. See, when you pray, pray that you would accept God's Word as truth and be obedient. Why? Because God's Word is truth. And he calls us to obedience. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And so here's what I want to encourage you to do. As you pray for obedience, really it just kind of goes with the the video we showed earlier. 
that you would begin to pray God's Word. Pray Scripture. Pray the very verses that God gives you in the Bible. That as you are reading through those verses, God, would you pray those prayers. Pray the words that you see in the Word. Pray for obedience. Because that will be the life-transforming, life-changing thing you need. Obedience is huge. Obedience is the key that opens the door to the blessings of God. And that's what he wants to pour out. Number two, how can our prayers be life-changing? Number two, that we pray or we spend time by praying for God's mission. Listen to verse 8 of chapter 17. Listen to what he says. He says, for I gave them your words, you gave, or the words you gave me, and they accepted them, and they knew, listen, they knew with what? Knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. There's a certainty aspect there. The certainty is this, that Jesus was born of a virgin, that Jesus lived the perfect life, the sinless life, was tempted in every way. He was led to the cross just as a lamb before his shears was silent. He was silent. There was no complaints. There was no defense. There was nothing like that. He died on the cross. He spent three days in the grave. He rose again, defeating sin, defeating death. And that defeats everything that Satan set up. That pays the price, redeems us, bought us, purchased us, and that is God's mission. Jesus, in the midst of going to the cross, is praying for the mission, and I believe that we pray for that as well. Jesus already accomplished it. We're to carry it out. The very reason Jesus came is done. He died on the cross. He lived that sinless life. He rose again. It's over. The mission is done. Satan's defeated. It's over. But guess what? We still have a responsibility as individuals. We pray to take the gospel to those that we know have never responded, maybe never heard. So when you pray, are you praying that God would open the door, that you would be obedient to his word, number one? Number two, do you pray for the mission? Do you pray for those people around you who do not know Jesus Christ personally as their Lord and Savior? Do you pray for your city that there would be life-transforming global city impact here in Independence? Do you pray for your state? Do you pray for the nation? Do you pray for the people around the world? You know, a couple of months ago or just last, last month, we had the Lottie Moon Christmas offering stuff and there was a prayer bulletin out there. Do you pray for those individuals? Matter of fact, our church just recently got a grant from the Missouri Baptist Convention. We're waiting on the time set up. Pat and I will be going down, we don't know what time, we're hoping March or April, to look at a partnership with a church or an area in Mexico where we will partner with a Hispanic church down there, obviously Hispanic, Mexican, in Mexico, all right? So, but we think this is perfect with where we're at because I've already talked to Luis, our Hispanic church pastor, and I said, hey, you want to go? He's like... I'm on board. That's where I'm from. And I'm like, sweet. This is just natural. So we're going to ask you as we get to know the partners and stuff down there that you would be praying for that pastor, for that church, for the people in that community, the villages around that have never heard the gospel or never responded. And I want to encourage you to be praying for that on a consistent basis. Pray for God's mission. The very reason Jesus came is about to be fulfilled here in this text. 
And Jesus is praying with his disciples one last time, and now he's praying over his disciples, and he's talking about the mission. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them, and they knew with certainty that I came from you. Now, I still stand by this. The disciples completely did not understand everything that was going on. Because if they did, they wouldn't have responded the way they did when Judas showed up. But at the same time, God uses those people who were sinners just like we are to accomplish and carry out the very mission with which he came for in the first place. Number three, how do I have life-transforming prayer? Or how can our prayers be life-changing? Number three, by praying for other believers. Look at verses 8 through 10. Jesus already began that prayer. He prayed for other people. And he says, I pray for them. Verse 9, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world. So listen to me. I carry this aspect. There's this idea that I pray for obedience. I'm praying for the mission, that the mission would be seen, that God's glory would be made known, that people would understand their need for Jesus Christ. And then he says, I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for them. I pray specifically for other believers. And look, I know where our prayers oftentimes go. Pray for a broken hip. Pray for left arm, shoulder surgery. I'm not trying to discredit that. But what I also want you to understand is this. Some of the greatest prayers you could do is go, man, I know such and such is going out into the workforce today. And they are around these people that they have asked me to pray for. And I'm going to pray for whoever I'm praying for. I'm going to pray for Sarah. And as Sarah interacts with those people she's working at, God, that you would give her boldness, you would give her clarity, you would give her a gracious heart, you would help her serve with loving kindness, with a great serving heart that would reflect your glory and your glory alone. That, God, people would come to know Christ through Sarah's testimony, through her work effort, through every personal example she has at work. Do you get that picture? That you pray that way. You want life-transforming prayer? Begin praying for people like that. Not, well, hey, I know such and such is sick. Would you bless them? Well, I'm telling you, we do a lot of tagline prayers. Like, okay, got that off the checklist. Pray prayers that are passionate and meaningful. See, praying for each other should be praying that we stand firm in the midst of difficulty. Should be praying that we would stand tall on the truth of God's word, that we would serve with loving grace and kindness. See, when we pray, God promises freedom. He promises to break every yoke of oppression that crushes us. And God promises to give us the words to speak to others around us, that our light will shine bright, that there will be healing for our body, for our soul, for our spirit, that God will answer our prayers and that we will receive protection from the Father. When you pray for others, you pray for things like that. And that kicks me right off into number four. How can prayers be life-changing? How can my prayers be life-changing? I pray for God's protection. And what I mean by that is this, that God will protect us from the evil one, the very schemes with which Satan loves to work in the midst of the world. Remember what I said, the world will starve us of the word because we'll focus so much time on the world that we'll neglect the word. But when you spend time in the word and you begin to neglect or reject the world, you will see life-changing, life-altering prayers. We pray for God's protection. Look at verses 11 and 12. I, this is Jesus, will remain in the world no longer. Why? Because he knows he's going to die on the cross and he's going to ascend and sit at the right hand of the seat of the Father. 
He's going to be at the, the, the position of power and authority. But listen, but they are still in the world. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Do you get that beautiful picture? The reason the Spirit comes is because the Spirit is our comforter, our encourager, our provider, the protector. When Jesus ascends to the Father, we are given the Spirit. And because we have the Spirit, we now receive God's protection. But do you pray for it? Do you ask God to protect you? Do you struggle with addictions, with some sort, well, maybe it's pornography, maybe it's drugs or alcohol and things like that. Are you praying for God's protection? Do you pray for the protection of others around you? If not, I want to challenge you to begin to pray for the protection of those people around you. Why? Because Satan's schemes are crafty. He's no slouch, he's no idiot, he's no dummy. Matter of fact, it says he masquerades as an angel of light. But he's also a lying, waiting to devour. Do you feel protected? Are you praying for protection? Are you asking God to give you the wisdom to know the schemes of Satan and when Satan's at work? Are you praying? Listen, I'll even throw this out. Are you praying that God would break down the barriers and the strongholds that are at work around you? Because the reality is this. When I take the mission out behind enemy lines, there's no surrender. I remember this movie when I was growing up. No retreat, no surrender. Anybody remember that? Good, it was really cheesy. It was a, real, it was a cheesy karate movie. No retreat, no surrender. Um, but I remember that. But that's the idea. When I take the, the gospel out behind enemy lines, there's no retreat. There's no surrender. And guess what? Every scheme, every plan, every attack, everything that can be unleashed at you will be unleashed at you when you make that move. And when you make that move, I hope you're praying for protection. And I hope you're praying for other people who need that protection as well. And the last thing, the last thing I think we pray for is we pray for unity. Now listen, here's the big thing. Listen to what he says. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be what? One as what? Look at it again. One as we are one. Listen to me. Anytime there is conflict within the church, anytime there is conflict amongst two believers, that does not ever reflect the very nature of God the Father and Jesus Christ. Could you imagine the Father and the Son going toe-to-toe, head-to-head, battling it out? Be like strong-willed son standing up against a strong-willed father. Who's going to win that one? Now, listen to what he says. I pray that they may be one as we are one. Why? Because there's power in unity. There is power 
in the fact that you are together. We as a body are together as one, working together for the mission, being obedient to God first, praying for protection, praying for God's deliverance, seeing an outpouring and overflowing of God's blessing. Why? Because we are praying for unity. And listen, he says this in verse 12, while I was with them, I protected them and I kept them safe by the name you gave me. And none has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so the scripture would be fulfilled. I want you to understand this. In the midst of all of that, there are going to be people who walk away, who reject, who turn, who because of the wickedness in their heart will reject the gospel. And listen to me, that is not your fault. You don't carry the weight and the burden of all that, but listen, it is your responsibility, it is our very purpose and the very mission with which we exist that we do carry the message of the gospel. If you're not willing to carry the message of the gospel, then you could then at the end go, yes, it is my fault because I'm not taking the message out. But listen, God stands ready to give grace and mercy to all, regardless of where they have been at in the past, regardless of what they've done, regardless of the sins you've committed. Jesus says, I stand ready and willing to forgive. I have already paid the price. I have died on the sins or on the cross for their sins. And I'm asking you, just put your faith and trust in me. If you want to see life-transforming prayer, I believe you begin to pray really like Jesus did. That God's glory would be made known. That we would be obedient to his word. That we would be people who would passionately pursue his mission. That we would pray for his mission. That we would pray for other believers. Listen, a lot of you may be thinking, oh my gosh, do you realize what kind of stuff you're adding to my schedule? Yeah. I do. It should be the most important thing on your schedule. And sadly, it's oftentimes usually the last thing. The thing that we're like, well, if I have time, I'll do that. When the reality is this, if we want to have life-transforming prayer in our own lives, if we want to have a transformation in our church, if we want to have a transformation in our city, if we want to have a transformation in our state and in our country and in our nation and around the world, it all starts somewhere, and that somewhere is right where you're sitting. It's you and me. Life-transforming prayer starts now by not making prayer a tag-on, a throw-out a quickie here or there, but something that you spend focused time praying specifically to God for. Father, we thank you for the fact that you and Jesus are one, that your mission involved Jesus from the get-go, from the very beginning, and that God, in the midst of everything that we faced, in the time and the difficulties, the struggles, the persecutions, the hardships, God, you stand ready and willing, waiting, desiring to answer our prayers, just as we read in John chapter 14, that whatever we ask in your name, you will give. But God, I pray that we would be people that we're not asking for self-centered, me-focused prayers, but God, we would pray for obedience, that we would be obedient to you no matter what the cost that we would pray for your mission because we know that in in being obedient to your word, that means we got to be about your mission. And as we pray for your mission, we will be the very vessel with which you take the mission, the good news of the gospel to those who are around us. 
God, I pray that you would protect us, you would guard us, you would keep us unified and together, one in spirit, in obedience to your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. As we stand and sing, if you've never acknowledged Christ as your Savior, I'm going to be up here at the front. We want to pray with you. Maybe, maybe there's something like this. Maybe, maybe you're in today and you just need somebody to pray with you. Maybe you'd say, my prayer life is null and void. Maybe you'd say there's something going on in your life and you need some prayer. I would love to pray with you. We can have some other people who come up and pray with you. But I want to challenge you with this, that we would be people of prayer because in order to see God transform our city and this church, it's got to start somewhere. And the starting point is prayer. It's not our work, it's our prayers.